Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. Here are your hosts, experienced lawyers, writers, and entrepreneurs, Heidi Alexander and Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network. I'm your host, Heidi Alexander. I'm also a law practice advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offerings, visit our website at masslomap.org. Here on Legal Toolkit, my co-host Jared Correa and I provide you with a new tool each month to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. So here's a buzzword you may have heard applied to today's legal industry, disruption. Typically, when we use that phrase, we're talking about the ability of technology to disrupt the market for legal services. And this has already begun to happen and will continue to do so. Software developers, like my fellow guests, as well as forward-looking law firms, are looking for ways to streamline their practices, offer higher quality services for less, and to help bridge access to justice. So today we'll be chatting about innovative technology in the legal industry, specifically with respect to apps and mobile practice. So joining me now is Abe Geiger and Bill Palin. Abe is the founder uh, and CEO of Shake, a platform that allows users to create, sign, and send legally binding agreements from their smartphones. Abe has his MBA, starting his career off with early stage tech startups in New York and San Francisco. Bill Palin is an attorney and developer in Massachusetts. Bill won the American Bar Association's Access to Justice Hackathon competition with his app Paper Health a simple healthcare proxy and living will generator. He's also recently developed Redactor, a redaction app for attorneys. Bill teaches courses at MIT and Suffolk Law School. So thanks for joining me today, Abe and Bill. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Now, you're both deeply immersed in legal technology, that's clear. What's the draw to this trend and why did you each choose this path? Sure, Bill, you want to Oh, um, after you, Abe, please. <laughs> All right. The attraction for me as a non-lawyer who always you know, grew up thinking he would be a lawyer was just the inefficiency and lack of transparency. So you know, I was working at startups and, and a little bit on the venture side investing in companies. And you know, the attraction to legal was you know, really, really big industry, big service industry with really high margin services. And I thought there was a lot of uh, kind of by nature inefficiency and lack of transparency, which... Um, technology has proven to be able to solve some of those problems really well. So it seemed like a really good fit in the big market um, and really kind of underserved historically by technology solutions, especially at the the longer tail, sort of the smaller firm, smaller client, consumer law level. So um, that was really what what drew me in. Um, And then just thinking about the changing economy and explosion of small businesses and freelancers and, and more consumer to consumer transactions happening. You know, I thought there was a really a big need for, for sort of smaller transactional uh, legal infrastructure that didn't exist under the, uh, the current sort of traditional uh, business model of legal services. Yeah, I, I, let me second everything that Abe said. But um, I, I come from, um, as a lawyer, I come from a more sort of uh, position of, of need. When I started practicing law, 
um, I noticed quite quickly that all the tools and technologies that I was used to in my everyday life were not available to me as an attorney. And they were off, and when they were, they were often not very good and they were very expensive. So I, I really saw it as an opportunity to both expand my practice to enable me to better serve and understand sort of the changing economy as well. So I dove into, into technology really out of necessity. Both very interesting. Um, and so my next question here is, all right, so, so technology can provide many benefits in practice uh, if, if create efficiencies like Abe you spoke about and decrease expenses, uh, which is what Bill mentioned. Uh, but of course, many attorneys are wary of technology like LegalZoom and maybe even Shake like your company, Abe, because they think it might pose, a, pose some competition and some might even argue that over time it'll obliterate solo and small firms. So What's your response to this? Um, you know, and how is technology advantageous to legal practitioner? And and since I'm I'm sort of I'm going directly at you, Abe. Why don't you start this off? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. No. I think what Bill said was was exactly right. I mean, there's there's no shortage of services. There's there are a lot of lawyers that are underworked, and there are, there's a ton of demand that's not been being met, um, just because the the traditional way of accessing services is so cumbersome and, and expensive. So what I think, you know, I think people that embrace these tools to run more efficient practices exactly like, you know, Bill's not only embracing them, but he's creating them. So, you know, he's even further ahead of the game. But, you know, that's really the future, especially for small, small firms and, and mid-sized firms. I think they're the ones that are going to innovate first and then the big firms are going to catch up um, later on. And, and be the ones that are kind of playing catch up on best practices, uh, which is a big shift from what's historically been the case just because of, you know, access to technology. So, you know, I think trying to fight the battle of keeping people from accessing tools that are out there and, you know, whether that's a, a template or using email to communicate more efficiently, which I know is still a fight that a lot of the, the state bar associations are, are kind of debating and some firms are really re- reluctant to do it to you know, video conferencing and, and other tools that, that are out there um, to run more efficient practices, we have to, we have to answer these questions. But I think you know, the idea that, that we should try and stop those things from happening and from being adopted because they're going to erode um, existing business is the wrong way to think about it. I think it's how can we run our offices more efficiently so that we can actually service all the demand that's out there and still make money from it but we just need to be a lot more efficient in, in the way that we provide those services so we can provide three times more, you know, we can, we can address three times more matters and charge a third of the price for each of them. You know, that's going to open up a huge market that doesn't, um, doesn't currently use legal services because it's just too expensive. So that's the way I think about it. And, we, you know, we say really clearly that, you know, we've never thought of ourselves as replacing lawyers you know, we just see what we do as replacing handshakes and, you know, deals that otherwise wouldn't have been done and wouldn't have been papered at all. Um, that's typically what we do. And we also service people that, that have their own contracts and use our platform for those contracts. So it's not, it's not even our templates. It's not our documents. But they want a, you know, a nice mobile solution for signing and capturing images and things like that. So we never thought of ourselves as a replacement for, for lawyers. Um, we've always thought we were kind of helping a group of people that weren't using lawyers to begin with. Bill, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, 
and thinking about your question, um, I might even take it a step further. You know, you you talk about solos and small firms maybe worrying that technology is going to replace them. Um, and I think you need to stop thinking about it as replacement, but as tools to enable them to compete. Specifically, I mean, I, I look at the the future and I think of the tools that I will be able to have as a small or a solo law firm, I think there's opportunity to compete with the largest law firms um, on the planet um, eventually with technology. Um, I just built a tool to redact documents and it enables me to redact documents, you know, on the same level as any large law firm. So if you sort of extrapolate the trends that are moving forward, you know, the tool isn't going to replace the law, the lawyer. The tool is going to enable him to do more and more. So, you know, a small firm can compete with a large firm on a giant class action lawsuit. Um, you know, when we get to that point, it's going to open up more business for solos and smalls than it will be actually take away from solos and smalls. Um, technology, though, you know, it's going to take away the handshakes the, that aren't being served already. So we need to sort of focus on improving the way we deliver services. And I think technology can really improve all of that. So So let's talk a little bit about mobile technology. Both of you have developed software for mobile. According to the stats I've read, there are as many as 60,000 new apps added to the Apple's iOS app store on a monthly basis. So how can attorneys take advantage specifically of mobile technology? And Bill, let's start with you. Well, I'll, I'll try to put my developer's hat aside for a minute and not complain about, you know, the search in the iOS app store, which really makes it really difficult for um, apps to sort of move their way up or to be found. Um, I think attorneys shouldn't go to the app store to look for tools um, because I think, you, you know, you're never going to find anything through that particular search. But I think, you know, uh, the apps that are being made available, Slack, Shake, you know, Skype, everything else, are enabling us to communicate better. Um, I use different apps um, in my own practice to scan documents in. They're not necessarily legal apps, but they're apps that I use you know, in my legal practice. So I would say you know, developing a toolkit of tools that enable you to practice better, faster, uh, communicate because really the phone is all about communication, right? And working with your clients about communication. So finding interesting ways to use technology to do that. Unfortunately, there aren't a ton of legal specific apps that are, you know, worth breaking the bank for right now. I would say. Yeah, I think there's a number of tools. I mean, most of them are not legal specific that people are starting to to play around with and and try and incorporate into their practices. Um, you know, document creation is such a core uh, sort of work product for, for lawyers and a way that they interact with clients. So, you know, Google Docs and other apps like that that let you edit things on the fly. Um, Microsoft Word has gotten leap years better in the last couple of uh, couple of months with the way that they let you um, access your, your Word documents on mobile devices. So and I think free those, too. And free, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Microsoft is, they've really changed their tune and their approach to, to mobile and cooperation. I mean, they partnered with Dropbox, even though it's a competing service to one of theirs. So I think they're really they're really getting it. And they have such a foothold in, um, in the legal community that's so used to using Microsoft Word um, that I think that could be a, a, big, a big deal for people to keep an eye on in the legal industry um, with respect to documents. 
but I think I think it all comes back to there's so much available that's consumer friendly mobile technology that is applicable to communication, you know, any type of communication, um, plus document management and, and creation and, and signatures and things like that, that it's just inevitable that people are going to start using those free accessible tools to, to run their business. Um, you don't need to buy a big suite of services from you know, one of the traditional um, enterprise providers to be able to run your business. You can do it all from Google. Um, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not that much. Um, I mean, we run all of our business on Google Apps Enterprise, um, which has great security and is mobile friendly, and we can use Google Docs. It's just really easy, and um, and there's no reason that we would want to you know, get an exchange server. So um, I think small firms are going to be doing the same thing. And mobile, I, to bring it back to mobile, I think is it's new. And so it's a way to kind of get people's attention for new tools. But at the end of the day, it's really just an extension of the business, right? So people have always asked us, you know, why mobile for contracts? That doesn't make sense. You know, you need a big screen to read these long documents. Um, you know, why would you want to do that on mobile? And, you know, I, I kind of have always said, you know, mobile, you're going to want to do stuff on mobile. It's not, doesn't mean you're only going to do it on mobile. Think about email and, and how we buy things, right? Five years ago, people didn't want to do email on mobile devices. Two years ago, people didn't want to buy stuff on mobile. And now they don't have any problem doing that. It doesn't mean they don't buy stuff on their computer or use email on their computer. But the thought of not having access to your email to send and receive whatever you want on your phone at all times is ludicrous at this point. Um, but it wasn't even until 2007 that the iPhone existed. So you know, that stuff changes really fast. So I think you know the, the things that people want to use on mobile will be an extension of what they use on their desktops. Um, and they're slightly different use cases, right? It's kind of the first and final mile is what you think about with mobile products. Um, so it's maybe not the heavy lifting, heavy drafting, lots of negotiation back and forth that you do um, on your computer. It's the small tweaks. It's to get the signature. It's start the process. It's do some intake. Um, you know those types of things, and and they they go back and forth with a with a laptop and a tablet and a phone and you know your Apple Watch. <laughs> Who knows what's going to come up? Uh, what people are going to come up with solutions for for Apple Watches, but. Um, so it's an extension of the workflow, and there's some things that mobile does really well that other uh, others don't. Um, and it's a it's a new medium, uh, relatively. So it's a way to get some attention for some of these new new workflows, as opposed to changing behavior. Um, but at the end of you know, at the end of the day, it's just an extension of what people are doing on on their computers. Um, it's not necessarily entirely new solutions. Uh, yeah, if I can just add, I mean, I started building stuff because I was stuck in court without a Wi-Fi connection, and I wanted to be able to build documents uh, while I was on the go. Being able to build documents, or at least get documents started, has been a really important aspect of my, my personal practice. And just to add on to what Abe said about you know people not getting it or people just starting to realize you know mobile technology, we're just now seeing um, Apple... You know, really, in the last week, they opened had their de- their developer conference, and they you can see the amount of time, money, and effort they're investing in being able to store documents, pass documents around with their new frameworks, the CloudKit framework, 
which I, I think I can talk about because it, you can download all the videos from the WWDC, but they're making it much easier for small developers to build you know, communication across devices. Um, and I think it's going to only enhance the communication tools and the document creation tools that we're seeing now moving forward, at least from the Apple side. And, and Google's w- well ahead of Apple in that respect. All right. Well, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Abe. I kind of want to call you guys Bill and Ted, but you're okay with that. Anyhow, we, we got to take a quick break, uh, but stay tuned because after the break, we'll be talking about apps and the thinking behind their development. So this is normally the space in our show when we offer words from our sponsors. This potentially represents a unique opportunity for you. Legal Toolkit is seeking sponsors. You can hear your advertisement right here. What more could you ask for? If you're interested, contact the team at Legal Talk Network at info at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Welcome back to the second half of our show with Abe Geiger, CEO of Shake, and Bill Palin, attorney and software developer. So I'm curious about the development process behind your mobile apps. What type of thinking goes into development? What are the first, second, and third steps to developing an app? And let's start off with Abe. First, second, third steps to developing an app, I would try to break it into three instead of more than three, <laughs> um, you know, figure out what the problem is and, and who the users are and sort of creating a, you know, some personas is what we typically do. So thinking about the user, their pain point, yeah, making sure that we're focused on the right problems and not trying to solve everything at once. Um, so staying focused, I guess, on, on those things. And then once we've identified some user stories that we want to solve for, and but user stories sort of product speak for, you know, as a user of the app, I want to be able to create a document um, really easily without needing to read a whole bunch of stuff on a screen and then sign it and then send it to somebody to get their signature, right? That'd be a user story, a couple user stories for us. Then we go into sort of user experience and design phase of the product development process. So we mock up some screens and design them so that they look pretty, um, and then we build it. Um, so that's the building, I guess, one, two, three, the product spec, the UX and design, and then the actual build. And then um, once you submit it to Apple, you have to kind of wait and keep your fingers crossed. Um, and it's different with Google, um, but with Apple, it's, it's the more onerous of the two. Um, you submit it, they review it. So those 60,000 apps you mentioned a month all get looked at by somebody, at least one person, you know, to varying degrees of review. And then once they accept it, um, it can go live in the App Store. So that can take up to two weeks. It can take as little as a couple of days if it's a small change to an app. Um, but that's sort of the ideation to live app um, process. And on Google, it's it's essentially the same at the beginning, and then the uh, approval process is immediate because they don't have an approval step. You just submit it, and it's live. And on the web, obviously, this is the same thing. Once you submit something, uh, once you push it live on your own, it's uh, on your domain. It's it's live, and anybody can see it. Um, so they don't have a approval process. Just Apple, just our, our lovely friends at Apple, um, <laughs> want to do their own quality control. <laughs> How about you, Bill? Yeah, I I would say that's what I do now. At first, I would um I'd have an idea and I start building it, and then I would spend six weeks. Um, trying to figure out how to design it after it was built. 
So I learned quite quickly or quite slowly that you have to sort of, I would find a pain point, sort of find something in my practice or find something in the practice of um, some of the law students um, that I see um, and then try to design a solution for it. Um, I spend a couple weeks sort of building out a design, trying to understand the best user interface because building on a phone, you know, something that's a document or something very large, you have to understand your screen space. So spending all that time figuring out the best way to do it and then going about building it. And of course, everything else is the same. Um, Build it up, get it tested, send it to Apple and cross your fingers that they don't reject you for something kind of silly. So I've been through that a couple of times. So, Um, and um, Google, I haven't built anything for for Android, but um, I hear it's the same, except, you know, like Abe said, a little less onerous because they think they have machines Machines uh, looking for spam, I hope, or malware. Uh, yeah, I guess they do. They, I think they do a little bit, but it's uh, it's much more laissez-faire. <laughs> well, it's that sort of Google versus Apple, isn't it? Yep. In a nutshell. Yep. So you've got all these apps out there, right? Um, there's so many of them. W- what would you tell our listeners to look out for when they choose an app? Is there a certain set of criteria? And, and Bill, you, you mentioned something earlier. You said, you know, don't just search the app store. Um, so, you know, what, what, are you, what are you looking for uh, when, you know, when maybe you personally are looking for an app or, you know, an attorney is out there trying to find an app for their practice? Uh, Bill, why don't you start? Yeah, I mean, I guess this is just sort of general developer gripes about the App Store. If you, you search, you go to Google or DuckDuckGo or wherever, and you search developer App Store, you'll find a litany of, like, blogs and complaints about how hard it is to rise up and how, you know, the search algorithm isn't very good. So I'm not really sure if there is a best way to find new technology other than, I guess, word of mouth and looking at other reviews and finding other technology for you know, businesses that you've liked, you know, if you find something that's made a good tool, you can look to see what other things they do. Listening to developer, I mean, I listen to developer podcasts, which I guess are probably not the best way for lawyers to find technology. But I would say looking through the web is really the only way to go about doing it. Looking at the ABA Journal, Legal legal Talk Network, finding out what other people are using is probably the best way to go about doing it. Specifically, if you're looking for legal technology, because legal developers are going to reach out to people like you, Heidi, um, and show off the tools they have. Now, you know, there's obviously the exception like uh, Shake, which has risen very high. It's gotten a lot of press and, you know, it's a wonderful tool. I I recommend it to everyone I come across. So I'd say that's really what you have to do. It's a little rambling. You have to sort of go out and search for it, but there's really not another good way to go about doing it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Bill. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's search on, on in the app store is is kind of a black hole. So there's not a whole lot you can do there. You can optimize your listing a little bit in the app store. So you want to put in as many keywords as they let you that are as relevant as possible um, about what you do and what your app does, um, and that can help a little bit. But um, there's just so much out there that it, it's hard to rely on that. Um, so what we did was we spent a lot of time with Apple, um, and with their developer relations team, their editorial team to try and get featured. And it's a total crapshoot. You can do all that and 
um, and not get featured. Um, but if you do, it's it's a big it's a big win um, because search is so bad and finding things is so hard. Um, if you're featured by Apple, if you're sort of picked um, to be on the home screens of the App Store, um, you get a ton of downloads that way. Um, so that's helpful. Um, and I think it helps with credibility, it helps get press, it helps raise awareness and, and all those things. We've also spent a ton of energy and time on content. Because um, I think with legal specifically, you know, trust is a big issue. And whether it's you know, lawyers wanting to make sure they're not the only ones using some new tool because um, they're worried about liability, con- confidentiality, you know, all of those things, which are heightened in the legal industry. You know, they don't want to be the first person testing something out, be the guinea pig. Um, it, it can be really helpful to build a brand and credibility um, by producing content. And so, you know, early on we said we want to we want to tell people that aren't using legal services at all, you know, that this is a solution that for some of the things that they might want. Other things we we tell them specifically, you should really talk to a lawyer about this. But we also want to talk to lawyers in a voice that says, you know, we're not trying to write short contracts to cut you out and because we're lazy. You know, we did the research, we understand the law, um, we understand what we're what we're talking about and we're not anti you. Um, and so I think you know building that voice and, and creating the content to drive traffic to our our tools are kind of you know roundabout way to get people to download our apps and use our tools because um, it's so hard to to find stuff in the app store. Mm-hmm. So it, it really sounds like you're doing you know what you do when you're looking for any other service provider. I mean, you're basically vetting, um, you know, you might be vetting the, the developer, you might be looking, you know, to other credible people like, you know, maybe a law practice advisor <laughs> um, or, you know, or a podcast or a publication like the American Bar Association's uh, Law Technology Today, which is a blog, uh, but but very true for, uh, for attorneys. I've had a little bit better luck in the Mac App Store. Um, like I said before, I've just released a redaction tool for attorneys to sort of speed up the process of redacting PDF documents. And, you know, it's the same, but it's also very different because it's not nearly as crowded. So it's actually much easier to sort of be one of the top hits for legal, be one of the top hits for law. And that's, I think, been a real boon for me from that perspective. So I think it's just the mass, a mass, mass of, of applications out there. Well, it's it, it's also it might be because on if you're in the Mac Mac App Store, you're downloading something on your computer, you're searching, you're doing your research there. With with mobile apps, a lot of times it's if you're on your phone, it's because you need something right now and searching for something that's more immediate. And if you're doing your research about mobile apps on your computer in the iOS ecosystem. You can't push the download straight to your phone. You can with Android, which is actually really nice. Um, it's a nice feature. You hit the download button on your computer, and it, and it goes right to your phone. Um, but for a long time, that, that hasn't been the case with, with Apple. So that you know, if they fix that, you might actually see better conversion from uh, a web research experience to mobile app downloads. That's interesting. So putting aside your own apps, which you know, of, of course are excellent products. Um, are there other mobile apps that you'd recommend to attorneys that you think are beneficial practitioners? Um, Abe, let's start with you. Yeah, I think if you're doing hourly billing, you know, if, if that's the model that you use, I think 
Clio has some good mobile tools, and Harvest, I believe, does as well, and Rocket, Rocket Matter um, for tracking time and things like that, which I think makes a lot of sense, especially if you're on the go a lot, if you're in court a lot, and you, you, know, you need a, a quick way to, to track your time and keep mm-hmm. track of that for billing. I think you know all the file management tools. I think have really good mobile solutions, um, Dropbox, Box, and Google Drive. And I think if people, uh, Dropbox has gotten a bad reputation for not being as secure as the others, um, especially Box, which may be the case. But I think it's worth looking at again because they've made a lot of progress in the last year on that front um, in terms of compliance and, and security. So. Um, those are great. I mean, it's really good user experiences for for sharing documents. Um, and definitely look at the Microsoft suite again if you haven't recently and check out their mobile apps because they, they really, like I said, have done a great job. And they also suffer from not as good a good reputation in terms of being progressive, but they, they've done a really good job in the last couple of uh, couple of months. And then I think just I, I would I would encourage people to try and use the tools that they use normally i mean use skype use google hangouts um you know as a way to to have interactions with clients and you know consider doing things like that um rather than trying to meet in person which is a lot more expensive and and harder to schedule and think about ways to use consumer apps for for your business mm-hmm. i i think that's a a really great list. I think that makes a lot of sense. I would also add, um, I guess, the tool that I use, I find myself using surprisingly the most um, is a tool called ScanBot. It's just one of a number of really good scanning tools for documents so I can collect documents. It'll auto-crop the image. Um, I'll be able to up, I can upload it to Dropbox or Box or whatever I feel most secure with. Um, and I can actually really get, you know, I've been using a lot for blueprints um, things that I couldn't normally sort of photocopy on a printer, I mean on a scanner. And I would also, you know, if you were an attorney and you were always having people coming up to you asking you about simple, you know, contracts, you should definitely check out Shake and send people to Shake. It's been really helpful for a lot of the people who come to me all the time. Abe, I think you need Bill on your marketing team for Shake. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I use it all the time to send people to. It's like, it's one of the really great legal apps out there, and there aren't that many great ones. It just happens to be. Well, thanks. Yeah, we, we get a decent number of referrals from attorneys, actually, which is contrary to what you might think. But, you know, it's um, everyone who's an attorney who's got a cousin or a sister or brother or somebody who, you know, calls them up and says, I, you know, I need an NDA. Do you, do you have one? Or I need to do X, Y, and Z. And they say, you know, that's not at all the type of law that I practice you know, I, I, it's not, I, don't, I don't really want to spend a lot of time drafting this up for you, and it's not my expertise. Um, you know, there are some tools out there you might be, be able to check out that might, might serve your purpose. Mm-hmm. So we get, we get those types of referrals um, more often than you might think. All right. So last question here. Any predictions for the future of legal technology? And Bill, let's start with you. Well, one of the things that I'm really focused on is low-energy Bluetooth. I ordered a couple low-energy Bluetooth beacons. It, for people who don't know, almost all new phones have what's called a low-energy Bluetooth, and it's what sort of malls and advertisers use to track people moving in and, in and around areas. I think that we're going to see a lot of technology coming out in the future that uses the context of where people are and you know how long they've been there, where they are, to really help sort of provide more information to people when they need it. I've definitely been looking into 
sort of installing these kinds of things in courthouses to try to find better information to people who, who are pro se litigants. And I think we're going to start seeing more tools coming out like that um, in the future. So everyone ends up having a kiosk on their phone is sort of what I'm sort of predicting. I totally agree with that. I think that's going to be really, really great. The way that I think about it, the direction I think we're going is back to that supply and demand issue. You know, there's tons of supply. People are underworked. Lawyers are underworked. You know, can't find can't find work, even though there's so much demand for their services. And finding a way to sort of shift that supply curve over, so that people can uh, operate more efficiently and still make still make a, a living wage. You know, practicing law. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a mix of uh, it's not the machines eating the people's work. It's the machines making the people more efficient so they can do more work faster and better, um, like Bill said. Uh, I think that's the future. You know, it's it's finding a a happy medium of you know what can what things can we automate that will make it easier for lawyers to provide better, faster services, um, and for people to get access to those services more easily. I think that's the future. Can I just say, I, I do think, though, that the low-hanging fruit is going to be taken away from people. So the people who are building simple wills and charging $500, that, that era of sort of easy money from that perspective is going to go away. Or I mean, if it hasn't already. So there, is some, there are some elements of technology eating um, some of the lawyers' lunch, but providing another way to, to get more lunch or get a different type of lunch. So, you know, I would be shocked if technology doesn't take a, a significant portion of, of work in that area. Yeah, I think that's probably, I think that's probably true. I also think there's some shifting in business models that's, it's starting to happen in the UK. They have different classifications for lawyers and people that provide legal services that aren't lawyers you know, kind of like the equivalent of a nurse and a doctor. I, I think we're going to see more of that here. I know in Washington, they're doing a lot, um, sort of on the cutting edge of redefining who can provide legal services. So I think that's going to change as opposed to being a black and white, you know, you have to be a, a licensed attorney in order to, to provide any services. Um, I think that's going to be different in 10 years and 20 years than it is now um, in the U.S., I agree with both of you, and I think the legal industry has sort of notoriously been uh, behind when it comes to legal technology. So it will be interesting to see how our industry adapts and adopts uh, legal technology. But I am sad to report that we've reached the end of another episode of the Legal Toolkit. Uh, I do want to thank my guests, Abe Geiger and Bill Palin, for taking the time to drop by our virtual studio. Abe and Bill, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your ventures, how would they go about doing so? Bill, why don't you start off? Uh, well, you can go to my website, um, cambridgelaw.org, um, or you can search for some of my tools in the app stores. Um, you can search for Paper Health or in the iOS app store or my new uh, Mac tool redactor in the Mac app store. All right. How about you, Abe? Yeah, you can find us on the web at uh, www.shakelaw.com um, or search us in the iOS or Android app store to find our mobile apps. Um, just type in Shake app. And that should get you there. Great. Well, thanks again, Abe and Bill. And thank you listeners for joining me for another episode of the Legal Toolkit. And remember, you can check out all of our shows anytime you'd like at LegalTalkNetwork.com. 
Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Heidi and Jared for their next podcast, covering the current business trends for law firms. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.